Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life. And the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. I am excited about this episode. Heavy hitter, been around the block. But as we were talking in the beginning of the show before we started, was that you do Ironmans. You do like some heavy level fitness stuff. How did you get into that? That takes a crazy person in my mind, but uh, it takes someone that's very dedicated. Yeah, you say heavy, I might say stupid. Just to kind of level set for listeners out there. So an Ironman's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, 26.2 mile run. Yes, it's all in a single day. Yes, it's all in a single event. I have no idea why I do it either. I'm just a glutton for punishment. But man, it's really taught me a lot about life, investing, and ultimately how to set long-term goals. I went through a nice little adolescent phase where I was only thinking about what was in front of me. And I know my mom was trying to beat into my head this idea of long-term goals, long-term goals. And what I love about this sport is no one was born to do it. Like You really have to put in the work. And one of my coaches said to me when I was about to do my first race, he was like, hey, this is graduation day. The hard part about this is not the race. The race is hard, but it's not the hardest part. The hardest part is getting yourself to the race. And so really this idea of how do you set big goals and then ultimately break them down into five-minute tasks or little miniature goals that you can achieve along the way, knowing where the end destination is, has taught me a lot about life and and investing. Did you used to do cross-country when you were younger? Man, I ran track for one year and that's about it. So how I got started into it was I did a couple marathons and things like that when I graduated college just because I was interested in competing in sports still. I'd done the high school athletics, the intramural athletics, the post-college sports rec leagues, things like that. And I was just looking for something to keep pushing myself. And ultimately, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. And I was like, came down from that. And I'm like, what's next? And the only two things I could think of was you could climb Everest, which I don't know if you've ever seen the cost of that, but it was very, very expensive and something I couldn't afford or the at risk. the time. Or the risk. Yeah. Or an Ironman. And I was like, well, this sounds cool. I remember seeing it when I was a kid on TV. Let's give it a shot. And that became an addiction. My brother-in-law just qualified for Kona. Oh, nice. Oh, so he's into it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I come from a town where cross country, right? In the little town that I grew up in, Missouri, in the hills, if you wanted to go to college, your best shot was cross country. And the amount of dedication and the miles logged by those kids and the crazy, insane work ethic of every morning in, in the wintertime, because cross country happens during the winter. Yeah. They're in their beanies and their little, you know, <laughs> gloves and they're putting in miles, dude. And it was so cool to watch that team run because they would run as a pack, right? And then at the end, it's kind of free for all, but it was so funny. And we've won state. I don't know how many times we won it, but it is what we're, my little town is known for. They win state almost every year. And it is a testament of that one thing you said is putting the work and being disciplined to the process. So let's talk about that. How did you transfer that passion into your business life? Because you've been ultimately very successful there as well. 
Yeah, you were on my show and we chatted a little bit about the idea of real estate being a long-term game. And I think it's just that. When you go into buying a real estate property or setting a business up or something like that, you have a North Star that you kind of see or envision. And if you don't, you should stop and do that first. You should have something that you're driving towards. But then it's saying, okay, I know what I want to do in five years. I want the culture of this organization to look like in five years or where I want to be in a business. And then saying, okay, I don't know how I'm going to get there because everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face, right? Mike Tyson quote. But what are the five-minute tasks that I can do every single day that march me towards that? So at the very least, if I fail, I knew where I was marching towards and I was putting in the effort towards that. So it's just that. When you're starting off on your investing journey or entrepreneur journey, whatever journey you are in life, what's your North Star? And then take it back to what's the single task I can do every day that will march me towards that? Yeah. Because success, it's really just a process of doing those five-minute tasks again and again and again. And then what you may not be good at, you eventually become an expert at. And let me say two things on this. One, I believe that passion follows activity. A lot of folks in my network are like, well, I'm just not passionate about that. I don't know what my passion is and all those sorts of stuff. What's impossible to be passionate about something unless you have vested interest in it and you only get vested interest by doing the little small task. The second thing I would say is one thing that Ironman has taught me, and this is very transferable to business, is you can't make up a workout. If I miss a six-hour bike ride on a Saturday and I know I've got a four-hour run on a Sunday... I can't jam that into the same day. I'll end up hurting myself more than I will achieving my goal. Yeah, you're going to get yourself injured, right? Yeah. Exactly. So why I say the five-minute task and making it a consistent effort is there are a lot of people out there that think that doing business or doing your goals is these big monumental tasks. And if they miss one, they try to jam it in and try to make up for it the next day. Don't worry about that. Just don't miss two days in a row. So I'm big on finding these little small actions that I can do over the long term that if I do them consistently, will make monumental moves versus the big monumental task or the big rock that you try to push over in one day. Yeah. The graduation of your random marathon is because you've been putting all the miles in beforehand. You do this all the time. Now it's just, this is the race. This is the one we're going to put it all in to sync with one big thing, but you've already properly positioned yourself and train yourself that you're going to be able to hit this milestone. That's right. Right? It's like you're just going to be at the top of the hill. That's right. And normally when you finish, a new goal arrives. Yeah, I'm pretty bad at that, actually. I'm never satisfied. I'm not even satisfied in the moment. I'm always thinking about the next big thing. Trying to catch up to you, you know? <laughs> and that's I think that's why I love uh, business as it relates to sports. I've always been a competitive person as well. And I find that I love that correlation. Like... Because A, for most of me, once I got out of high school, my sports career was done. But I still had to drive and I had to channel it somewhere, right? And I found that business is that for me, right? I can still play at a level, my faculty still there to allow me to play and play full out. And you still get to experience the thrill of winning. And sometimes we get to wear the other shoe, right? The agony of defeat when you make mistakes, right? And each one's a learning experience. How do you feel about it? 
Yeah. The only thing I would add there is this idea of consistent practice as well. So one thing I would say is like, if you're going to try to acquire a $50 million apartment complex, $100 million apartment complex, you're never going to get it right on the first try. So putting in the reps to sharpen your saw and to put in the work so that when that time comes, you will have the skills necessary is another part that absolutely relates to fitness and sports in general. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your portfolio. So can you guys just give us a little Matt's overall portfolio, which you have so everybody can really understand what we're dealing with here? Sure. So our general partners are on 4,000 apartment doors, 33 car washes, 1,000 mobile home park lots and growing. And then we also help co-manage a fix and flip short hard money lending debt fund that we've got out there. Yeah. Which that's a lot of stuff. It's really like almost it's like three pillars. Maybe it's four pillars. Is it? solid table that you can have a foundation on those because there's always something that's going to generate revenue in that equation, right? How did you stumble on to real estate? Where did you get your start? Yeah. So like a lot of folks, I was a traditional W-2 employee. I spent 15 years at some of the largest technology companies in the world and sales and sales leadership. And I actually found real estate back in 2016. I was part of a large acquisition pursuit, a $10 million deal. It was a net new logo. And we landed it. And I saw the money I was going to receive from that commission check. So I was thinking through, like, what am I going to do with this money? And I looked at crypto. I looked at bonds. I looked at stocks. And then I had a mentor at the time. It was like, hey, you should look at this real estate stuff. It cash flows. It appreciates. You get some tax benefits along the way. But then, Corey... The story takes a turn for the worse. It was the week of Christmas and my VP called me at the time and said I was not going to get that commission check, that I was only going to get two cents on the dollar. And when I asked him like, hey, how did we get to this number? Talk me through this. What can I do to influence this decision? He said, how much have you made this year? And when I told him, he said, isn't that enough? And so it was at that point when I realized, hey, if I'm going to achieve the goals that I want in my life, give back to the causes I care about, pursue the passions that I have in my life, I'm going to have to find a different way. So I bought a turnkey new build construction right around the corner from where I lived a couple months later. And within three short years, I had become, quote unquote, financially free. It happens just like that and just that fast. It's really getting that first deal under your belt. Now, and along the way, to get that type of success, you've had to learn some probably some new skill sets because I'm going to say the art of raising money, you've got to learn that skill set. How did you pick that one up? Uh, just in raising capital in general? Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes down to basic sales 101, trying to solve problems for people and add value to them. So one thing I'm big on and I've talked a lot about with peers in our industry is I'm never going to go chase someone down to invest with us because one, it's not a good use of time. There are plenty of people that are interested in investing in real estate, understand the value, all those sorts of things. And two, if you chase someone down and try to bring them into something they're not ready for, they're ultimately going to have more questions along the way than answers. So I think one thing that we pride ourselves on as an organization is one, education. So anytime I jump on the phone with somebody, I'm trying to educate them along the way of what we're doing, why we're doing, what we like in specific markets. And then two is communication. 2023 has been a rough year in this business and we don't hide from bad communication. There's always going to have something that comes up in real estate. I've never met a pro forma that's gone exactly as planned along the way. 
And I think how you communicate is more important than the news you're delivering in this business. So we value ourselves on transparent, quick communication, and we don't really hide from bad news when there's bad news to be delivered. Hey, this is Shelly Peterson, Corey's better half. My husband shares amazing stories of the good, bad, and ugly of apartment investing. And while many of you want to do this yourselves, we have found that a lot of you would like to invest alongside with us. If that is you, I want to invite you to get on a short webinar where we discuss our deal room and how you can be a part of our private investor club. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar and register now. You won't be disappointed. Again, go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash webinar, and we look forward to sharing our private deal room with you. Yeah, that's a great way to have it, right? You almost have to. And I think this last couple of years is the season where the tide went out and you could distinguish yourselves from the bad operators and the ones because everybody has been in the mud a little bit, right? But the good ones are like, okay, hold on, man. We're getting back out further in the ocean. We're going to make some course changes. We've got to make some course corrections. But it's really about communication all the way through, right? That's right. And I think that's been a big piece where I've, and the other part of that is all the people that just bought a simple course and was like, I'm going to be the new multifamily guru. They're not here anymore. Right. Or they're slowly going away because you can't just wing it. They've got the open for work on their LinkedIn profile picture. Yeah. And this is the season that a lot of deals went bad and I'm knocking on wood. I mean, we had a couple that were tough, right? We got through it. And then now the Fed's finally signaling that they may stop raising rates. The whole sentiment is like the error went out. Everybody went. (laughs) That's right. So with that said, what does the future look like and what asset class do you focus on right now, Matt? Yeah. So when I throw out our portfolio, it seems like we're very unfocused. However, what I would say is we look for a couple things. One, value-add real estate. And what I specifically mean by that is assets that are already cash flowing where we feel like we have an ability to add to that cash flow. We've never put sticks in the ground. We've never developed. It's not that you can't make a bunch of money doing that. It's just what we believe in is cash flow distributions to our investors and cash flow helps protect your downside. So ultimately, we like cash flow in real estate. We believe also that real estate not only goes in cycles, but there are niches within side of real estate that go in cycles. So as we look into 2024 to 2026, essentially, there's two main themes that we're very interested in and focused on right now. First is this idea of affordability and housing. So we believe over the next couple of years, there will be a more demand for affordable housing than not. And that's why we like mobile home parks. It gives our uh, tenants an ability to have affordable housing. And not only that, but to buy that home and have equity and to start the wealth building journey. Two, it's the only asset class that I've seen in commercial real estate where the supply is actually shrinking. So if you believe that demand is going to increase and supply is shrinking, that's a good economic position to be in. Yeah, because no city says, hey, let's let you develop a whole brand new mobile home park. They're like, yeah, we don't want to do it. So it is shrinking. Like there's, that's a fact, right? Yep. But there's still a high... Tremendous demand for that product. Yes. Tremendous. Absolutely. And when you go back to the city, like it's been a while to understand this. Like every city council person preaches affordable housing. 
And then they look at their P&L and their budget and say, well, we really like it if Amazon brings 100,000 jobs here and develops a billion dollar project in downtown Nashville like they are right now. So we're not going to give that land up for affordable housing. We're going to take the tax revenue and the jobs that this could bring. Now, I'm not here saying that's the bad decision or good decision, but I am saying every city council person says they want affordable housing until it comes time for a solution. Yeah, then you have to show them what the real solution looks like. You're like, no, no, what you're thinking about affordable housing is not our thought. Right. We run our parks different, right? I think people think of mobile home parks and they already have a preconceived notion. And I'm telling you, the right ones that are ran right, they don't look anything like you think. Yeah. And make no mistake, I grew up in East Tennessee, right? So I've seen my fair share of not institutional quality mobile home parks out there. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in the Ozarks, so I'm right there with you, Matt. Like that's right. I know. Like is it Chris Rock? Not Chris Rock. Uh, Kid Rock. He did it best with his first, you know, one of his hit singles. He came from the trailer park, right? <laughs> that's right. But I mean, our whole goal is to buy these parks and then ultimately sell back the homes to the residents. Yeah. And because again. When they do that, one, it sheds that expense off of our balance sheet. So if the toilet's wrong or the window's busted, don't call us. That is now your property. But two, it does build equity for them. Now they do own a hard asset. And it's the pride aspect too, I would think, Matt, right? That's the other thing that I would say that is a misconception about mobile homes is that when we ultimately sell these homes back to the tenants, the community gets better. Because if I own this home and I now am invested in this park, I'm not going to let Billy Bob do whatever he does down the street anymore without telling us, without informing the local law enforcement and things like that. I'm going to take care of my unit. I'm going to make sure like I'm going to put up my Christmas lights, just like all other homeowners do. This is my little spot. That's right. I want it nice. They want to take care of it. That's right. And pride of ownership is where the money's at, right? Because that changes the whole community and it can change fast when you get people in that groove and that way of thinking. And that's what they all want. And everybody, from your point of view, like no matter what demographic financially you're at, we all kind of want the same thing. We want the best place that we can afford. The best place that we can afford and safety, right? When we come in and take care of some of the lingering issues or problem children that we all know some of these parks tend to have, That shows that we're also invested in not only improving the area, but making it safe. Hey, would you like to learn more about Kahuna Investments in our deal room? Let's do virtual coffee. Book a 15-minute call with us so we can learn more about your investment goals and how Kahuna Investments can help. Go to kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee to book your call today. Again, that's kahunainvestments.com forward slash coffee. Let's have some virtual coffee and get to know one another. And then when you do that, that's a beautiful recipe for profit and a way to pay your investor community that's going to invest in your deals. Now, how long do you keep one of these parks, Matt? What is the shelf life of a project like that for you guys? Yeah, it depends. I mean, right. So I think whenever I get that question from investors, if we go through another 2021 period where people are offering stupid multiples and doubling our revenue and our buy price in roughly 14 months, we'll, we have no problem exiting positions. However, we underwrite everything for a five to seven year hold. Usually the first couple of years are stabilizing the projects and selling back the homes and things like that. 
if there's enough equity in them, we're okay doing refinancing out and making sure that investors get their capital back while also retaining ownership in the park and being able to receive cash flow from the park. So a competitive differentiator there. But typically we look at five to seven years. Yeah. And that is a heavily cash flowing type of asset. I mean, it's not like a big apartment complex where you've got so many things going on, which doesn't always make as much cash flow. I've got to wait and bake a cake really for a long time to get a really big exit. But sometimes they don't cash flow for two or three, four years sometimes, right? It takes a long time to bake the cake. Yeah. So the way I explain it to investors is there's something called lot rent. Lot rent means that you own the home and you're leasing the dirt from us. When we look at these parks, number one, the lot rent is usually below market. So that's traditional rent. We have the ability to kind of grow there. The second thing is by selling these homes back to the residents. So now we're getting a seller finance note where we make money off not only the principal payment, but also the interest payment as well. So when we're looking at these parks, we can pull those three levers. We have the ability to build back trash and utilities just like you do in a traditional apartment complex as well. So there are all these different levers that we can pull to improve income. Not only that, but in a traditional multifamily, they're never going to own the homes or the condos. So you're going to have to have a repairs and maintenance line in your budget. We as do as well because things often happen on parks and septic systems and all those sorts of things. However, we have shifted the maintenance on the units back to the residents. Yeah, you're just taking care of the park. You're not taking care of the units inside of it. Right. Those are homeowners. Right. If they break something, they call their plumber or they call their whatever to fix their home. Right. So you're really just the lender. You're really the lender in that aspect. You're arbitraging private finance wraps or however you guys are doing it, right? That's right. So we have all these levers on the income side. And not only that, but we have levers on the expense side as well. Yeah. And so that beautiful space, right? I think that's a big piece. What about the car washes? Are car washes done or are they still getting started? Because I see them popping up here in Arizona all the time. And we're a great state for car washes. Talk to me about that. Yeah, happy to dig in there. I mean, we got involved in the car wash space in late 2020. um, And we started looking around and asking, why are all these NBA players owning car washes? And when we dug behind the hood, I mean, there's a couple of reasons we like it. One, car ownership right now is at the highest it's ever been in our country. And a lot of those cars were purchased within the last three years. And for most Americans, a car is either the number one or number two asset they own from a net worth standpoint in their environment. So typically, when you buy an expensive asset like that in the first couple of years, you want to maintain it. You want to keep it nice. You want to keep it clean, all those sorts of stuff. The second thing we really noticed is that it's a highly fragmented industry. When I say soda pop, you go Coke, Pepsi. However, when I say car wash, you're thinking, what's the car wash around the corner? There's no national brand. The number one market share leader in car washes owns 4% of the market. So we believe, just like every other industry out there, from software drinks to consumer-grade packaged goods, that there will be a mass consolidation at some point. And our goal is to ultimately own a portfolio that when that consolidation happens, we can stick our hands up and say, we'll hey, roll it up. Yep. We want to be a part of that roll up. So we can yep. demand a higher multiple on exit. Go ahead and buy me. Right. That's right. It's for sale. So I've already seen that happen in Arizona. Like we had these individual car washes and now they all got the same concept, but then they just got purchased by a big buyer 
which is more of a REIT, and buying the whole state, right? And it's like, okay, there's beauty for that for them because they're taking all the systems and they're rolling it into one. Your car now can go to any location because it's all synced. Yep. And so that's the value add play for them. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. So they just got to make sure your unit has enough recurring revenue. That's the job, right? Yeah. So we throw a subscription model on ours. It's the same concept. You can go anywhere where we have a portfolio, but also Wall Street and private equity love reoccurring revenue. So when we have reoccurring revenue, a portfolio we can sell, and we own the real estate as well as the business, we believe we can demand a higher multiple when we go exit these. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, that is exciting, my friend, Matt. I always say there's so many ways to make money in real estate. As you said, finding your passion and the reason for what you want to do and then just going at it with passion, kind of like you do your Ironmans and the things that are are important to you, not just in business, but in life, right? That's right. And I think I'll add to your point around just there's so much ways you can make money in real estate. And when I first got started, I thought it was only like the fix and flips you see on HGTV or buy a house and rent it out. And what I've learned by hosting a podcast is that there's so many different ways and bringing on different people from different niches. I've had parking lots to flipping land to student housing to car washes. It's been incredible to kind of see the industry. Yeah. All the little pieces in between, you're like, okay, that's, you know, I'm like, sometimes I write notes. I'm like, man, I need to get into that or I need to look at that. Then I go back and it was like, Corey, you do a couple of things. Just stick yeah. with the two or three things that you do. Do those well. Yeah. So let's talk about books. Any books you've read lately that really have inspired you or turned your needle? So I'm getting done reading The Miracle Morning again by Hal Elrod. I had an opportunity to spend some time with Hal a couple of weeks ago and truly inspired by his story, but also this idea of if you can control your morning, you can control your day. But another book that I'll throw out there that doesn't get enough attention, I think, and it's outside of real estate, is The Last Lecture. Have you heard of The Last Lecture? No, but good book. Yeah. So The Last Lecture in academia is this idea of like, I'm retiring, I'm giving my last lecture. I'll tell a funny story. Remember the time Corey cooked salmon in the microwave and stunk up the place? Ha, ha, ha. And then here's my life lessons. And so the author, Dr. Randy Posh, gives his last lecture at the age of 37. And the reason why he's giving his last lecture is because he found out he has pancreatic cancer and he's going to die. And it starts off with, don't feel sorry for me. I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve in my life. And here are some of the things I've learned along the way and those sorts of stuff. And it's inspiring. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. But at the end, he says, this last lecture isn't meant for the faculty and students. It's meant for my kids. And he has two young kids, three and five, where he's actually writing down the things that he's learned and the lessons he wants to teach them as a father, but will never give them the opportunity. So if you get a chance, it's a great read. But if you're wow. not a reader, the last lecture on YouTube, he gives the lecture and it's an incredible watch. Yeah, I'm going to read this. I'm going to put this on my downloads today and my walk tonight. I'm going to start listening to it. I love stuff like that, right? I like inspirational, get you in the feels. Because it is New Year's. I mean, as we're recording this right now, we're a couple of weeks away from the end of the year. And what a great time to sit down and have some retrospect of what would your last lecture be? How would you want to be remembered? And what lessons have you learned? What do you want to pass on, right? Yep. What would you do right? What would you not do again? Thanks for that. That's pretty powerful. I like that. What would your last lecture, for people that are listening to this show that are fairly new, 
What would you tell them? What would your advice be to them for someone starting off in this crazy world called real estate? I think the hardest lesson that I had to learn was that this is a team sport and it gets said so many times, but ultimately it's so true. When you look at taking down a $100 million property or running 33 car washes across seven states, there's no way you could do it yourself. There's just no way. You need insurers, you need attorneys, you need CPAs, you need operators, you need people that understand skill sets that you may not have. And I think the faster you can put yourself out there as somebody that wants to go build a team and wants to learn and be a part of a team, the faster you'll go in the space. And the easiest way to do that is by adding value to the people that are already in this business and finding a way to add value to them. So I know that I am really good at understanding the structure of deals and financing deals. I am terrible about understanding zoning. I don't care about zoning. I don't want to read zones. I don't want to go to hearings about zoning. So knowing that about me, if you have that special competency in a project that you need help on from a finance standpoint, like that's how partnerships happen. That's ultimately how you scale. Yeah, I think that is the biggest lesson because in the single family space, we were all trained to kind of do it yourself. And then usually when you move into the multifamily space, it is a team sport. Always has been. That's right. Right. So great advice. Great advice. How do people find more about Matt? Where do they go? Where do they find more about your company? Yeah, sure. So two places. I'm the host of a podcast that Abraham Lincoln called the best podcast on the internet. Sorry, Corey. But it's called Ice Cream with Investors. Yours truly was a guest actually on the week that we're recording this. So go check us out on any of your podcast apps out there. And then the second place is nextlevelincome.com. There's a button in the top right corner that says invest. That'll link you straight to my calendar. And whether you're new in this business or an experienced institution, I love talking to people about how they are using real estate to make their money work for them. Connect with me there. would love to chat. Yeah, great. Awesome. Those are two great places. Your podcast is awesome. You're a really good host. Ask really thoughtful questions. Really share the narrative, right? And share the experiences of other owner operators that are out there doing and getting dirty and making mistakes and generating wealth. It really is a lovely, lovely game when you look at it. So Matt, I want to thank you again for your time. Guys, for everybody listening right now, this is what we try to do. We try to bring in great guests like Matt that provides insight and some stability and a new way of thinking. And there is not just one shoe size that gets real estate done. There's so many ways to make money in this business, but it starts with an idea. You have to firmly think of like and commit to the process of, I want to be successful. It's kind of like Matt said, you don't get to run that Ironman. You don't start and go do the Ironman. You got to start one day at a time and saying, today, I believe I'm going to do this. You take that one little idea and say, I got to wake up. I got to put the work in. If you do that long enough, guys, success will come find you. Guys, if you believe it, you can achieve it and your paradise is possible.